Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is everyone wrong when it comes to the Mayan prophecy about 2012? Do we even have the year right? Will Ben and I have to write any more radio scripts after the 16th? Well, that would definitely be a blessing in disguise. Hey there, welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, and this is the 430th edition. No, 403rd. 403rd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Sorry, my mild dyslexia kicked in. I'm Ben, and those pretty weird questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So while we uh, still have a chance, we're back on the uh, 2012 subject this evening. And our guest uh, might have some new perspectives on the whole thing. But first, it's time for, you know what, our weekly paranormal contest. So this week's, well, last week's question was, in what Indian city did police respond to a reported poltergeist a- attack in 2008? Well, Gianna Caruso of Springfield, Missouri, was the first one to get that right, or Missouri, as they say there. That was in uh, Kolkata or Calcutta, India. Uh, clothes were strewn about the floor and cut up. Fire was uh, taking place on the mattress, and the daughter was pushed around by an unseen force. Police couldn't do much about it, needless to say, and that was in 2008. Stuff was cut up in Calcutta. So this week's question is, on what date uh, was the first reported sighting of the Loch Ness Monster in the 20th century? So get that right, and when a copy of The Twelve a novel by tonight's guest. So we do welcome callers this evening, and the numbers are locally or from Canada, 401-766-1240. Again, that's 401-766-1240. Or from anywhere else in the United States, 401-400. That's wrong on the script. You need to change that. I say that every time. Oh, sorry about that. 800-449-1240. Again, that's 800-449-1240. We seldom have novelists on the show unless they are real experts in the subjects they fictionalize, but certainly the novel form can be a great way to convey factual information to those who would not be likely to pick up a scholarly work. And tonight's guest is one of these novelists. William Gladstone, uh, the cultural anthropologist, not the prime minister, the late prime (laughs) minister, uh, graduated from Yale, uh, then earned his graduate degree from Harvard. Reminds me of what John F. Kennedy said when he got an honorary degree from uh, Yale, he said, now I have the best of both worlds, a Harvard education and a Yale degree. <laughs> they didn't quite know how to take that. Anyway, he's also a publisher, an agent, uh, William Gladstone, that is, a producer and an expert on the much-vaunted Mayan prophecy of 2012. He has undertaken extensive field work in South America, Asia, and Europe in his pursuit of the ultimate truth relating to these 2012 prophecies. Years ago, he traveled the world on behalf of Rod Serling, creator of the Twilight Zone series, to investigate ancient mysteries. Bill visited sacred sites, met with scientists, archaeologists, and heads of government to learn firsthand the power of the ancient cultures, and he also worked on documentaries about the nature of world religions, right up my street. His latest work is The Twelve. It's a novel of the ancient wisdom behind 122112, which is coming very soon. Bill's websites include www.tappingthesourcemovie, tappingthesourcemovie.com, www. I can't ever say that. GLNTV.tv, 
tapping the source and slash tapping the source and www.goldenmotorcyclegang.com. I'd love to hear where that came from. But these are all listed, and there are links to these on the behind the paranormal.com uh, website, so check them out. All right. Well, William Gladstone, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Well, thanks so much for having me on your show. And I should mention one to the book.com because for the subject tonight, it's really the novel, The Twelve, that is the best site for people to find out more about the Mayan calendar and about my novel, The Twelve. Very good. But those other sites do have a lot of interesting information, so I appreciate you mentioning them also. Sure. Okay. All right. So before we get into the Mayan prophecy about 2012, isn't it true that a number of ancient civilizations predicted the end of the world as we know it uh, for 2012 or thereabouts? Absolutely. Um, I've studied not just the Mayan culture, but many other cultures throughout South America, also Hindu uh, culture when I was in India. And I've also, you know, through research, studied, you know, Tibetan cultures, um, the Hopi Indians, many cultures uh, throughout the world have predicted the end of a cycle, more or less at this time. Only the Mayans had developed, through their mathematics, a precise calendar that works for December 21st, 2012, to be the end point of this cycle. But the belief of cycles and that we are entering a new age is common to literally dozens, if not hundreds, of ancient civilizations. So... There, there are some people who make arguments that um, more than one civilization says it's going to happen, therefore it's correct. How would you respond to somebody who says well, that? Well, first of all, what, what is, you know, each culture has its own version. I mean, if we go back to uh, creation myths, almost every creation myth from every culture is similar with similar elements. And how do you explain this when we're talking about some cultures that had no contact outside of their own indigenous area mm-hmm. and cultures that are separated by oceans, <laughs> mountains, and everything else. So, you know, either there's an underlying truth that is at the basis of all of these beliefs, or there's something in the human brain that has a need to believe in something. And it's probably a combination of both. If you look at ancient civilizations, you see that everything is around cycles. You have your moon cycles, your sun cycles, and the Mayans actually had over 40 calendars related to the moon, to the sun, to galactic occurrences. And the Mayans do seem to be the most sophisticated, both in terms of their mathematics and in terms of their observation of the shift in movement of our planet and of other planets in our solar system. So one could argue that the Mayans were just sort of the clearest thinkers among indigenous peoples who shared a common belief system that cycles would occur naturally and that somehow by observing these cycles, human beings could live better lives. And there is probably truth to this. Um, How much truth is where we we get into different scientists are going to say, well, it's just coincidence. My own research indicates that it's not coincidence. For example, right now we're experiencing some galactic phenomena that is really quite unique and some argue only occurs once every 26,000 years, which is very interesting because the Mayan calendar cycles actually combine for a 26,000-year cycle. And something that we only learned a few decades ago is that the wobble in the rotation, the axis upon which the Earth rotates, has a wobble called precession that also has a 26,000-year cycle. So, you know, you can argue, oh, it's just coincidence, but it's kind of coincidence that you know, mathematically would be, you know, a million to one shot. So now you're stuck with 
how do we explain this? How could the Mayans possibly have observed the wobble in the axis of the universe, or is there something else underlying all of this that we need to explore? And that's where I do think unexplained phenomena may enter into it. We are aware now that there is the possibility of what Dr. Irvin Laszlo calls the zero point, or the Akashic field, where all information at a deeper level of reality is, in fact, coexisting all the time. Perhaps there was a way that some indigenous people were able to access that information, that zero point, because I have no better explanation for how some of these phenomena could have been explained, how you could have this concordance between this ancient people's calendar and actual events that we've only learned in the last 50 to 60 years. Well, yeah, that's definitely a great answer to my question. So I tend to I tend to agree with you, and you touched upon something um, the Mayans had really, really, really complex mathematical equations. I mean, they came up with the concept of zero before a lot of other people did. So I tend to go with the thought that we underestimate our ancestors, but most scientists I've talked to have a the- are saying, like, oh, we're smart, they're dumb, because <laughs> they're older than we are, that kind of attitude. So, Well, I- I'd like to address that issue, because when I-, I was actually very young, I was just out of Yale, it was my very first year out of Yale when I had the opportunity to go around the world for Rod Sterling to make the In Search of Ancient Mysteries film, and that was following the theory of Von Donegan that ancient astronauts had been here, and, well, nothing proved to me that that, in fact, was the case, because you do find what you're looking for to some extent, and I looked at over a million objects throughout museums, and I think I only found six that could be interpreted as representations of, you know, starships or what he called chariots of the gods. What I did learn, however, that was more impressive to me is that knowledge has been lost. Whether you're talking about the Inca civilization that had the technology to move large rocks and fit them together in ways that even our modern technology cannot do, or you're looking at instances of actual laser brain surgery that were performed on skulls that are 500 or more years old, there's a clear indication that technology has existed on this planet and been lost. So I think that we need to do a lot more investigation before we just assume we're newer, we're better, we're smarter. <laughs> um, you know, absolutely, when it comes to computers and the Internet and, you know, making a tablet and, and smartphones, hey, you know, I give us all kudos, and, you know, I, I love these new devices, I use them, and, I, you know, I think we should pat ourselves on the back. Um, but that doesn't mean we're the be-all and end-all. And in reality, a lot of the simpler things, I was just thinking of this when I was in the shower today, you know, the fact that we turn on our shower and we have hot water. What a great invention. And, we, you know, most civilizations didn't have that, you know, including our own. Um, you know, some of the things that we just take for granted are pretty amazing. And so I do think that we, we have an amazing civilization. We can pat ourselves on the back. We have incorporated many of the findings of other civilizations into our own. But that doesn't mean that other civilizations didn't have areas where their own expertise excelled and in many ways was superior to ours. And this is the real point of the Mayan calendar from the pure Mayan. In addition to doing research, you know, with the actual artifacts, I spent a great deal of time talking with ancient Mayan. And the ancient Mayan oral tradition that I've been party to goes back at least 700 years. In fact, it is my belief that what we call the Mayan calendar is just the Mayan popularization of an even more ancient calendar, because in the calendar itself, it refers to dates 
that clearly go beyond 2012. So, you know, you can't, you can't posit that the Mayans were limited. Also, how could a civilization create a calendar that had such a long period of time prior to its existence? You know, what, what's the explanation for that? And I think there is an explanation, and it goes, you know, we don't have all the facts, but it goes to uh, reality that the ancient civilization in what is Chichen Itza, where the Mayan calendar, uh, the oldest representation still exists, had an even older culture which actually developed the calendar. But we need to look at what we can take from these ancient cultures, these ancient civilizations, and incorporate it into our modern civilization. And what the Mayan teachers have told me is that the real point of the Mayan calendar is this change of cycle that has to come. We have to get away from overemphasis of the material and the ego and be more compassionate and more aware that all human life and all life is interconnected and that we're only going to start really appreciating the opportunities for human beings when we have this wider perspective. You actually just touched upon uh, my next question, which I, I, I you may have known that I was going to ask it or not, but um, it seems that every mind we've heard from has a little bit different version yes. of like what the Mayan prophecy actually is. So is there really like a Mayan prophecy, and what does it actually say? And you said that it's a Mayan popularization of, an, of a much older concept. So what is the older concept? Well, the older concept is that, and this is not something I can prove scientifically, but the older concept, and, and, the re- and I'll give you a little background. If you look at all of the creation myths from all of the cultures, not just the Mayan, but you look at the Inca and you look even into Egypt, you have constantly... Uh, and this is one of the reasons I call my novel The Twelve. In almost all civilizations from the beginning of time, we have a belief system that there is a divine being that comes to Earth in some way with spiritual knowledge, sometimes even technology knowledge, and that they accumulate a group of followers, and in most cases it's 12 or a multiple of 12. And these 12 have the task of bringing this information throughout the ages and preserving it and passing it along to future generations. And that's more or less the thesis of the novel itself. I took these ideas and put them into a novel. And I think it's very important that people realize that you have many cultures, not just the Mayan, that have these beliefs. So whether we're talking about the precursors to the Mayan or we're talking about ancient Hindu civilization, which has nothing directly to do with the Mayan, there may be some underlying truth in the nature of human organization and human structure. And one of the reasons I was so fascinated with the number 12 is only recently have we learned that our very DNA is in what they call a uh, dodecahedron, a uh, 12-sided cube, and is this shape and this shape alone that allows the transmission of our genetic material. Then you look at the other side of it, you go all the way back. The Christians were not the first culture to come up with the 12 disciples. You have the, the 12 lost tribes of Israel, you have the 12 uh, in other cultures, the, the, even in the Mayan cultures, you have the 12 princes of Exalba. So this idea of 12 sort of runs through all of these cultures all over the world, and then you combine that with these beliefs that also run through all these cultures all over the world of the end of a cycle and the beginning of a new cycle, and then you add the specific date of December 21st, 2012, and you do have an interesting marker. Not that anything is actually going to happen in the observable universe that we observe, 
But that doesn't mean that something isn't happening in what I would call the unseen world. I think that there is, in fact, directionality to the universe and that it is not a coincidence that this specific date has been chosen and that we're paying attention right now because this is a unique moment in the history of the evolution, not just of our planet, but of our entire universe. There is something going on that has never happened before, and the fact that we're not totally able to observe it does not mean that it's insignificant. At the same time, all this talk about doomsday and apocalypse is completely fabrication. Uh, There's certain people who have benefited monetarily from it. There's other people who just, you know, uh, enjoy creating... uh, you know, horror movies or whatever you want to call them, and, you know, they're entitled to do that. But um, one of the reasons that I'm willing to be on the radio, particularly right now, is in the feedback I've gotten from my novel, The Twelve, it's been a lot of young people who have just thanked me for um, telling them that the world's not going to end and explaining it in a, in a fun, entertaining way, because many people still believe some of these doomsday things, and they're frightened, and there's no need to be frightened. Well, uh, I, I don't disagree with you, but I think there's every reason to be frightened on the broader scale because you know what's absolutely there's, there's, there's the Middle East and all this business. Yeah, no, there. Well, this is the, this is what I was, and thank you for pulling that out. Yes, this date is not insignificant. It's an important date, and it's an important time in our evolutionary history. Basically, as a species, we're at a crossroads. What mm. we decide to do over the next ten to twenty years is going to determine the fate of this planet as far as human beings are concerned. We are doing things which are putting not just <laughs> the ecosystem in danger, but our very survival in danger. And there's more to survival than just not dying. And what we do as a collective humanity right now is of vital importance. So I think that from that point of view, what the Mayans are saying, what these other indigenous peoples are saying, is very important. We do need to pay attention to it. I just wanted to be clear to young people particularly, that they will wake up on December 22nd and, you know, they're going to they're gonna be fine. You're not, you know, obviously there could someplace be an earthquake or, you know, something happening. We have natural disasters happening all the time. But there's not going to be anything earth-shattering. Ah, good pun. But um, <laughs> no, I, was, I was just going well, to say... I'd like well, to thank, you know, thank you for saying that because a lot yeah, of people yeah. write into us and their children are afraid. I just think it's kind of funny in, like, a really... It's actually really bad that I find this funny, but I'm a college student, so everybody I meet who's a college student, they're like, "Oh yeah, the world's gonna end." I'm actually really excited for that, and it's like, <laughs> I can't, I can't tell if that says something about my generation or wait, wait not. Wait a second, but... they're, ex- I mean, what are they excited about? The, I mean, they think it's a joke then, because how can you be excited about your own demise? I mean, if the world actually were to end, it means we no longer exist, at least not in physical form. Oh, yeah, that's well, it true. depends on your. If you take our, our our multiverse point of view, that's not the yeah. case. But it's nevertheless. Well, then again, then again, the the end of the world is the Friday during my exam week, so I I would probably want it's it to be over too. Your astronomy exam that day. I yeah, I know. Ironic indeed. Yeah. Well, you know, you you make a number of uh, very good points, uh, Bill, and, and one, of course, the first one being something we've all often thought about, and that's the the very age of our species. You're going to have a mm-hmm. million years really, of, of human history, we call it prehistory, that, that's just a blank. You know, and a thousand civilizations could have risen and fallen. Go from hunting for mammoths to lawyers and agricultural monopolies like the next. <laughs> well, I like the Sumerians. Well, well it, it could be. I, I have to say, I'm of two minds, because I was brought up very conventionally, and I did go to Harvard and Yale, and they are 
conservative institutions, and even before that, I went to Phillips Academy Andover, and, you know, this is, oh, you know, cool. mainstream, yeah. mainstream education, and in the mainstream, you know, as good as you get. And it was very clear to me as a student that we had to observe and measure to give any credence to any belief, whether it's historical or otherwise. And, yes, we are starting to find things that change the uh, dateline, if you will, of the history of our species. But it is fairly inconceivable to me that were there an actual Atlantis that we wouldn't have found, you know, remnants of that civilization by now. Um, and, you know, to think that there were other high-end civilizations that disappeared without a trace at all, you know, maybe the multi-universe is a way of explaining it, you know, alternate realities. But in terms of the reality that we're inhabiting at this time with the particular molecules that, you know, we enjoy as, as individual egos, um, I find it unlikely that we had, uh, you know, vast uh, eons of civilization superior to our own, which then disappeared. Obviously, the Mayan was a civilization that in some ways, particularly in terms of mathematics and their ability to create calendars, was superior. But that's, you know, one very, uh, you know, remarkable civilization. And I don't think it's an indication that there were hundreds of such civilizations. Well, well, what... I don't know. You hear we've naturally covered this subject with a number of different authors, including right. a, a physicist who doesn't believe any of it, and an author who does it. You know, <laughs> one who also wrote a novel. But we just get different stories from everybody. I mean, on the bright side, uh, there are a number of people who are saying that uh, there would be well, some sort a, of consciousness wave will yeah, all be ascended. Uh, well, well, you know, this, I mean, I'm fascinated by what you're saying, and I want to believe it so much that my next novel, which is coming out in September, called The Power of the Twelve, actually delves into these specific issues of the Illuminati and multi-universes and, you know, what could be happening in a parallel universe that impacts our universe. And I, I do believe that we are just, you know, one of infinite number of universes and infinite number of Earths. And when you get into that kind of thinking then, yes, you can pull the plug on all traditional thinking yeah. because it, all bets are off. However, I would still say, even if there's multi-Earth, that the very Earth that we're on is unique and individual, just the way that you are unique and individual as a person. The all way right. I describe it is you are also, as an individual, you're a particle, but you're also, as consciousness, part of a wave. And mm -hmm. as part of the wave, there's nothing unique about you whatsoever. You are part of a larger consciousness which permeates you and everyone else. And so you're both simultaneously an individual, particle, and a higher consciousness wave. And, and part of each other. And part of each other. And, and there really is, I mean, it's an illusion from the absolute, and, and I, you know, there's many different ways of expressing this, and you have your string theorist, my, my favorite uh, metaphor has been, you know, think of a pond and everything we know, everything we take for reality is merely the surface of the pond and the deep reality is all the water underneath, which we never even uh, penetrate. We never even have any awareness of. Mm. So, you know, and you can get into boggling concepts, but it does come back to, you know, we have to be practical and pragmatic in how we spend our time. We have to nourish ourselves in every way, not just, you know, in terms of, you know, the health of the body, but the health of the mind. And so, you know, you, you do have to be careful not to just fantasize, well, the deeper reality, there's no difference 
so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, it's actually the opposite. There is a difference both at the level on which we're presently living as well as the deeper reality. And yes, you may have an infinite number of lifetimes to experience and you may, in the highest level of reality, get to be every single individual that ever has been because when you get to the level of infinity, there's no limit. But at this particular moment in time, you are you. You are Ben. You are the radio host. And, you, you know, you have, you're a college student. You have to, you know, prepare for your exam. And you can't ignore the life that you've chosen. And we've all chosen this life on one level or another. And I think that it's very important that people balance these higher concepts of abstract reality with their day-to-day reality. And the awareness of the abstract can improve your day-to-day reality because if you start realizing when you go to, you know, strike someone or steal something that you're really striking or stealing from your, from another part of yourself. Absolutely. It, yeah. It's going to, it's going to alter, you know, hopefully you'll do a, oh, wait a second, why am I doing this? And, you know, and this is one of the reasons we have in, you know, the, the, what I would call the positive spiritual part of our, you know, classic religions, you know, like the namaste, the, the you know, God within me blesses the God within you, the Ubuntu of the African people. So this is repeated in almost every great civilization, the realization that each and every one of us is an eternal spiritual being. Now, there's atheists listening in, and they're going to say that's BS. Um, well, how do you know? Um, I actually, one of the motivations I had for writing the novel as a 12 is when I was 15 years old, I had a near-death experience, and I incorporated that into the novel. And for about 30 years, I didn't pay much attention to it because, you know, when I first did, I was told, Bill, what are you talking about? You obviously, you know, didn't have enough oxygen. You hallucinated. What you experienced can't be real. You know, that's, you know, you know, focus on, on the playbook here. We got to win the football game or the baseball game or, right. you know. Well, we have to take a practical. break. Okay. Okay, Bill, uh, we are, we'll be right back. You are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our guest, Bill Gladstone. Stay with us. Hi, Rick Pickard here. The great sounds of rock and roll is back. Every Sunday from 1 to 4, Memory Lane will be playing songs from the 50s and early 60s. Be part of the great memories and sounds. See you there. Owen Radio. Owen Worldwide. Well, we're back. We are back. We have been here, and we shall be here. For the next half an hour, that we are Paul and Ben, and this is Behind the Paranormal. You listen to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our wonderful guest, William Gladstone. We're getting kind of off subject, but I like every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you, Bill, are, what did the Mayans actually predict, and did it have anything to do with the 21st? I mean, you, you can't well, get they, a straight they story on to, Yes, okay. The, the Mayans did predict that there would be a change in the 26,000-year cycle and that it would occur on December 21st, 2012, that there would be an alignment of the planets and there would be some other galactic happenings. Yeah, most we know that, these, yeah. Most of these predictions are actually accurate and true. Where it gets out of whack is there's nothing in the Mayan glyphs that says that this portends the end of the world. It just means it's the end of a cycle, it's the end of these particular measurements, 
like the end of a year, the end of a month, Means the change. end of any period. And that is predicted, and it is true. And unlike our calendar, which is, you know, frankly, not really related to any uh, physical events, no. um, their calendars were. And it happens to be the end of the solstice on that day at that particular time, and that is, you know, something that we know to be true. Our own calendar has gone back and sort of fit in the solstices, and then we have to adjust minutes and do these things. The Mayans didn't have to do any of that. They had a better calendar. They have a better calendar. Well, yeah, that that's true, very true. And the question is, okay, well, what happens? You know, some people say, well, uh, all you know, everything, the sun will come out, the unicorns will jump over the rainbow, Not the socialist happen. non-workers' no. paradise will bloom, and all the squirrels will sing in well, harmony. Well, if you want to go a little bit out on a limb, and this is, you know, some Mayan belief. I think you mentioned before that you know the Mayan you represent three million different people today, and not yeah. all of them have had much communication with each other over the last 50 or even 500 years. And, you know, there's different groups that have different beliefs. The Mayan that I've been, you know, privileged to speak with believe that it is the end of a cycle and it's a window for change. It's a window for change. They don't believe that it is predetermined that this change will happen, that it's automatically, uh, you know, going to be a golden age. But they think that there's a window where if people will start paying attention to these larger themes and to some of the core values that the Mayan actually have had for centuries, weren't you know dependent upon this change in the calendar, um, things that I've mentioned earlier, a belief that we are all spiritual eternal beings, that we are all interconnected, that we all have the opportunity to assist in the development of our own civilizations and that we're not limited to our you know, accidental place of birth or our language or our culture or our skin color, that you really can have a universal humanity that works together to create, quote-unquote, heaven on earth. And, so what, know, how does that occur without changing human DNA? I mean, I, mean, I don't mean to be cynical. Well, Nobody well, would like to see this more than me. Well, first but of all, human some nature, people believe friend. that human DNA is, in fact, changing. And okay. the idea of changing human nature is actually um, not nearly as difficult as, you know, what is human nature? I mean, human nature is at least 90% learned. Yeah, I suppose, and, yeah. And, and so a lot of it has to do with what are we going to teach our children, how are we going to program them to live lives that are less egoistic, if you will, yeah. that are less materialistic. How are we going to create meaning for people when just having the big house on the hill with the Ferrari and, you know, your private jet is not the definition of ultimate success. But and young people today occurring. seem more egotistical than ever. It's all about me. Right now, for certain people. Yeah. But at the same well, time, it's, it's like we have Americans, a lot of chaos yeah. going on. We have the, the worst and the best happening all at once. You know, Yeats' famous poem on the second coming was about, you know, the the that go meekly into the night and the worst are full of passionate conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we, you know, there's certainly some signs of that out there, and, you know, God forbid that that is the scenario that we're going to encounter. At the same time, there are so many signs of people really caring in ways that never happened on this planet before. Because of our communication technology, when you right, have right. a storm like Sandy, when you have the tsunami in, in Japan, people immediately, at least many people, do leap to do good, do leap to help you know, in whatever way they can. And we also have people that are starting to wake up. They're starting to, you know, escape the programming, much of which is based on fear and lies, and, you know, 
very, uh, you know, specific self-interest. And whether we're talking about, you know, the, the food chain, whether we're talking about politics, whether it's economics, even education and health, um, there's a lot of waste and stupidity that is masquerading as status quo that must be protected at any cost. And I think this is breaking down, and I think we're going to see some change. But is it going to be easy? Is it going to be without suffering and pain? Absolutely not. I mean, it is not just because we're changing this cycle going to be effortless. Yeah. And if you look at things from a, a larger perspective, I like to tell people, you look at 26,000-year cycle, you know, we've been in the last seconds, if you compared it to a day, you know, for the last 10 years, we've been in the last, you know, couple of minutes. And when you look at a sunset, for example, unless you're on the ocean, which fortunately for me I am and I get to see the sunset every day, the actual moment of the setting of the sun is not that different from the second before the sunset set or the second after the sunset set. It's a transitional period that most people won't even observe. When you're talking 26,000 years, it's even more of that. In the last 10 years, there's been tremendous change throughout our planet. A lot of people aren't paying attention to it, but it's been very significant. So from a very concrete perspective and scientific perspective, it's already happened. 2012 has already happened Mm -hmm. because it's part of such a long cycle that the precise second is the less or the precise day is less important than the change itself. And we are in this change right now. Some people do talk about it as the quickening, which is also, you know, illustrated in many other religions and, and belief systems. Something is happening, and, you know, we can get into my personal beliefs about what it is. I don't have scientific, you know, confirmation of it, but I do believe that things are speeding up on multiple levels, and it does have to do with consciousness, and it does have to do with awareness, and as we become more aware, things happen, quote, unquote, magically. There's more synchronicity. There's more being in the right place at the right time. We're finding that, too. And I think a lot of people are. Does that mean everyone's finding it? No, because you have to be prepared. You know, Yogi Berra used to say, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen it if I hadn't believed it. And it's true. <laughs> if your mindset prohibits you from believing in the miraculous, believing in the unseen, believing in some of the things that I assume your program is about, you're going to block yourself from allowing these events to actually occur in your life. But for those people that do embrace them, and don't over-embrace them, because just because these things happen, it doesn't mean you throw up your hands and you just say, oh, a higher power is going to take care of things. I don't have to do the work. That's not true either. But you need to find that balance, because this is a magical place. There are unseen forces at work all the time. I, as a you know, concrete, grounded guy, done business, you know, science, am absolutely certain that there is so much that we don't know and that has been poo-pooed by traditional culture and traditional science that is in reality at work and many of the things that you know 50 years ago we thought were impossible we're learning are not impossible and there is unlimited potential within our universe to receive absolutely unlimited abundance and that doesn't mean everybody having you know big cars and living you know high lifestyles well that's shallow yeah i, I yeah. know what you mean but 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 abundance of true uh joy true creativity. I mean, what is it to be a human being? What differentiates us from a cow? There's nothing wrong with having all your physical needs met. And, I, and you know, I'm big into, you know, I, for those, you know, who are able to enjoy it, sex and, every, and good food and all of the joys of being a human being, go for it. That's part of being human. But it's not everything. The highest joy is really creativity. 
And to be creative, we have to work together. No one is creative alone. Um, you can enjoy your own creation, but how much greater to be able to share it with humanity. There's a recent film that Olivia Harrison did on her late husband, George Harrison, The Beatle. And there's a scene where they have this beautiful sunset, and she says, George, when he saw this sunset, said, that's what I want to create. As much as he was creating the great music, you know, to create this incredible sunset, that's the level of creativity that gives ultimate joy because it's shared with everyone on the planet. And more and more people are, you know, coming to the recognition that they need a full life that includes not just their physical comfort, but also this whole idea of creativity, which is what I believe truly makes us both human and on some, to some extent, divine. Okay, well, I, well, I hope you're right. Uh, let, let me just throw one or two more thoughts at you because the time's a waste in here. Now, in I've said this on the air a number of times, so listeners might recognize it. But in 1991, I was I got to know a little boy who was five years old who was dying of cancer. He explained this whole period to me, at least you know in, in his little way. And he said very much what you are saying, only in terms of there being two different kinds, almost two different species of human beings. He called them the high men and the low men. Mm. And he said that they're, they're two entirely different kinds of people, and that one would go one way and one would go the other, and that there would be a war between them. Or at least one would cha- try and, and, and eliminate the, or at least the, the low men would try to eliminate. If you don't the take it too literally, I'm actually in agreement with this this young man. This yeah, well he, well, he died shortly thereafter. Yeah. But, but I, mean, I think that he was seeing something, and and I wouldn't say that they're they're two different species. We're all human, but they're definitely, and, and you can observe it all the time when you meet people. There are people who resonate, people who are sensitive, and people who are more zombie-like. Maybe this is one of the reasons all these Twilight movies are so successful. Yeah, because man. we recognize that there are blood-sucking, energy-sucking near-dwells in our midst. And, you know, that, that definitely we're at war with those people to some extent, and we should be. Now, the big question is, can we convert them, or is it a lost cause? I mean, the thing that, you know, gives me concern is I look at fundamentalist religions, and these people, you know, are, are innocent to some extent. They're, they're, they're born wherever they're born, and they're... They're inculcated with this knowledge, some of which is based on higher thought, but a lot of it is not. A lot of it is based on, you know, how do we control people? How do we keep power? You know, yeah, as you say, it's that aren't very positive. Behavior. And they're they're inculcated at such a young age. And I'm I'm not, you know, signaling out whether it's the Christian or Orthodox Jews or Muslims or even Hindus. Um, there's elements of all these groups which are really so attached to the past to what may have worked 500, 1,000, 2,000 years ago, that they can't break out of that. And that, to me, not being able to have a dialogue is what's creating this rift between what this little boy may have been saying, the, the higher and the lower. Um, we don't need to use higher and lower. You know, they're different. And from the point of view of infinite reality, there is no good and evil from the point of view of infinite reality because it's all energy and it's all in the mix and, you know, it is what it is. But from our perspective as human beings, and we are human beings, there is clearly good and evil. I have, unfortunately, had to experience a paranoid schizophrenic older brother, and I made him a character in the novel. But, you know, there's no question, particularly it was as if he would become possessed at times. We can call it a mental illness, whatever we want. But that is real, and there is evil in our world, and we need to to be aware of it, and uh, we need to combat it in whatever way we can. 
So what will life be like if all goes well in 20 years in, in, in your view? Well, if all goes well in 20 years, there should be less poverty throughout the world. There should be less misery. There should be more opportunity, regardless of social status or economic status at birth, to freely create and interact at the highest level. In 20 years, we already have the technology that would allow the equivalent of an iPad-type tablet in the hands of every human being on this planet with the information coming to them that they might need for whatever their circumstances, whatever their location. So these are the kinds of things that I think can make a big difference. I think that we're going to have to see some changes in major government uh, and other institutions. I think that um, things are not working, and I think we're aware that they're not working. And, you know, even in our own country here, you know, when you have this, this – I mean, it was never, you know, so clear, the divisions, the political divisions and, and the fighting and the, the inability. I mean, this whole thing of the, the, the physical cliff – fiscal cliff. I mean, it's absurd. I mean, we're all one country. You know, we have, you know, and no one's going to, you know, like a good compromise, a good negotiation. No one's happy. We know that. People have to be more flexible. And I think in the future, we're going to see greater uh, communion among people. Or if we don't, we're going to be seeing, you know, the, the negative side of all this, which would be the beginning of complete breakdown and chaos on this planet and you're, you're going to end up, you know, going backwards, and you're not going to have a planet that 100 years from now anyone is really going to want to inhabit. It's just not going to be Define worth it. Define poverty. Well, I think it's very basic. I'm, I'm not, you know, everyone should have clean water. Everyone should have, you know, a, a enough to eat. They should have clean air, and they should have access to education. So I it's mean, all physical. Well, that. I mean, what about poverty of the spirit? Well, that uh, obviously is, is essential. I mean, I would actually put that as the most important. Um, fortunately, um, what is con- considered poverty today does not include that. You have some of the most spiritual people who are, from an economic point of view, with nothing. Mm-hmm. But if you go, as I have, you know, to some of these third world situations where people are, are barely able to eke out a living, they, in many cases, have as much dignity and awareness of who they are as anyone I've met in our country. Yep. All right. Well, I I don't know. We'll see. What you describe sounds like any time, you know, whenever there's an... But but hopefully you're right that there's uh, some kind of awareness maybe coming, and certainly through communications. I mean... Yeah, well, well, what's different now that has never existed on this planet, because we could have had this conversation to some extent, you're right, 50 years ago, but the stakes are higher now. The awareness is higher. Fifty years ago, if Greeks had a little problem with their economy, you would have never heard about That's it. That's right. And yep. today, it's like, I may lose, you know, my, you know, I, I don't know if you have a scholarship, but whatever it is, I may use my, you know, Europe goes down, then the next thing, the U.S. goes down, I lose my entitlements. You know, who knows what could happen yeah, because big, somebody in mess. Greece isn't, isn't able to, you know, survive. Yeah. Well, Bill, I wanted, before we burn up any more time. I wanted to give you a chance uh, before we ran out of time to, to talk about your book and give us a little bit of a plot as, as much as sure. you feel you can. Well, the, the 12, and, and one of the things I need to say is right now the book is out of stock in the print form. You can probably get some used copies already on Amazon, but go to Kindle, go to one to the book.com. Um, it's available on every ebook uh, device out there, and you know that's the best way to get the book. The, the plot of the book is really based on my research as well as my own life. I did put myself, you're not supposed to tell people, but 
the main character, Max Duff, is based, uh, particularly the first 150 pages of the novel, very much on actual experiences that I have had, including a near-death experience, out-of-body experiences I had while I was in India, and I wasn't taking drugs. Um, a lot of very unusual synchronicities that have really been responsible for much of my success. I, I am very successful in what I do I'm a, as an agent. I'm, you know, Eckhart Tolle's agent, and I did the Four Dummies book as the agent. So, you know, I've had a lot of success, and a lot of it actually has come from what I learned when I was the researcher for Rod Serling doing In Search of Ancient Mysteries. That uh, experience is part of the novel for the main character. And, you know, I learned very early on that there were powers that were far beyond what the producers, the director, or I knew that really, if you paid attention, would help us make that film. And I basically use those principles and continue to use those principles in my daily life. The novel is about what does the Mayan calendar mean that the main character encounters in his near-death experience, and this is also true, 12 names. And throughout his life, he starts meeting these names, and he doesn't know why, and then he discovers uh, why, and then he discovers that there's a specific meeting that has to be arranged in a specific place at a specific time, and more or less the fate of the world depends on it. Okay. Well, that, that's good. I, well, that's great. It sounds like a terrific story, and the the sequel is coming up uh, and, and next yeah, and the year. The sequel is, yeah. is it'll be out in September. The Power of the Twelve, and it has more to do with okay, the world didn't end on December twenty first, but now what is happening? And I introduced Earth seven six nine and the Illuminati and the role that George Bush may or may not have had in connection to the nine eleven events, and you know what is going to happen. What is this new cycle about? Are the theories that we're leaving a masculine-based cycle and entering a feminine-based cycle true? And if so, hmm. what does that pretend for human behavior? Okay, we'll have to have you back when that comes out. Um, I wanted to, to hit you with this. We've heard from several experts, on, well, alleged experts on this subject that the uh, there's also, a, a, along with the 26,000-year cycle, there's a there are several others, including a 660 million year cycle. Okay, that one's beyond me. I haven't, I haven't invested. I mean, 660 million years is, maybe that's the realm of physicists, but I don't know of any anthropologists or archaeologists that are looking at... Well, a paleontologist <laughs> would tell you that that's when the, the Precambrian extinction yeah. took place. Yeah. And uh, th that, that, that cycle has come around again, supposedly, and uh, has to do with, I don't know what, but as you say, the galactic neighborhood is in somewhat of an interesting state right now. Well, I, I mean, I can't, you know, categorically say that that's impossible. It, it, it you know, for me, it's new information. I, I've been, for me, I, you know, originally I was thinking 2,000 years, that's a pretty big cycle. And then I was thinking 5,000, you know, plus years is a big cycle. And then I, I discovered the 26,000-year cycle. I think, well, that does it. I don't need to go beyond 26,000 years. So, you know, this is new, but I think that it's, it's quite possible when you get into, and this is really one of the themes of the power of the 12, the whole nature of infinity. Infinity is a concept that is almost impossible to comprehend. But infinity is infinite, and it means 660 million years, forget about it. That, that's, that's nothing. That's like one second. That's nothing um, to infinity. So, yes, we, we could be playing with much larger cycles. I do believe that there is what is called unity consciousness throughout all of our universe, if not the multi-universes. Yeah. And that we are here for a reason, that we do get to experience these bodies, and that to some extent, from the perception of a universal being, being in these bodies may in fact be the ultimate 
expression of godliness because it's the combination of the physical and the mental and the, the conscious awareness that allows the supreme being or beingness or you know whatever you want to call it um, to have true expression in infinite variety. In our case, it's limited to 7 billion people right now, but at least 7 billion different ways of experiencing creation and experiencing joy. But, you know, that's my own personal theory. Can't be proved, but, you know, it's an interesting idea. No, it sounds good. Well, the theories are always fun. But um, we receive lots and lots of emails from parents that are really, that have children who are concerned, frightened, and be- like mostly because of TV, like pl- yeah. hyping this stuff up and movies and, and crap like well, that. Well, there's a lot of people that have made millions, if not tens of millions of dollars selling bunkers, selling you know dried food, selling all kinds of stuff, and scaring people for their own benefit. And you know, I, I'm really appalled at that. Obviously, you know, there's always a need to you know be prepared. I live in California. We're probably going to have an earthquake. <laughs> Geophysics, you know, are pretty certain. Be prepared for some emergencies. They're they're going to happen. But this idea that this whole planet would just, you know, disappear and the, and the fear that it's generated um, is, is really appalling. And we need to just, you know, tell children, hey, December 22nd, it's going to be here. You better do, you better be good. Santa Claus is still watching. Christmas Day is going to get here. You're going to get your presents. January is going to be here. 2013 is going to be here. Um, you don't have to worry. These are just people, you know, who are sensationalizing a calendar, misinterpreting a calendar. The Mayan themselves have never said the world is going to end. That's our understanding. All right. Um, and NASA did, has actually done some good things. NASA, if you go to the NASA website, you'll see some really good uh, posts about you know what is and isn't going to happen, and you know it's, it's all fine. You know you, you can talk about you, know, you could have solar flares. You could have, you know there's minor stuff going on all the time, but there's no more chance of the world ending on December 21st than there is that the world would have ended yesterday or the world will end tomorrow. Or the world yeah, that, that's kind of what, what we 2200. think. 2200. Yeah. So you can never, you know, rule out, <laughs> you know, with absolute certainty. But as I've told everyone, I'll bet anyone a billion dollars that the world will not end, and I'll be very happy to pay you if it if it does, but I don't know how <laughs> it will be here. Well, I think you, you'd be the one getting the better part of the deal. Yeah. Uh, what's the deal with, you mentioned precession. Yeah. What, what, could you t- say a little more, uh, sure. more about it's, that? Sure. I didn't even know about this until I wrote my novel, The Twelve, and then I, I you know, started doing more research. And um, I had the pleasure of meeting with Jose Arguelles, who was the uh, popularizer of the Mayan calendar. He created the Harmonic Convergence. Yeah, you can talk about event. him, too. And, uh, you know, he, he's, he was a great, great artist and thinker, and we, we lost him about two years ago. But he was the one that first told me about uh, this idea of procession, and I'm not sure, I, uh, but I think that he learned about it probably from John Major Jenkins, who's another Mayan scholar who has really uh, written more about the Mayan calendar than anyone else I know. And what he explained to me was that there's a wobble in the rotation of the universe, and it actually takes 26,000 years for this wobble to come back to complete a full cycle. You mean the rotation of the Earth? Well, the, the, there's... Yeah, the, the, in the rotation of the Earth, the, ro- the Earth is rotating all the time. Yeah. But there's the procession is the wobble around the rotation. Oh, that's And right, this yeah. wobble takes 26,000 years. It doesn't take 26,000 years for the Earth to rotate, but for there to be a complete return of energy is 26,000 years. So if you posit that this is a scientific fact, and 
I've been assured that it is. And then you do open yourself to the exploration of, well, you know, we're really just all energy. So energetically, we are entering a different energetic cycle. And then you combine this, well, now look at all these ancient civilizations that have all been talking about this. Not all of them have this date. Well, maybe for them, the the full energy started at at a different time and will end at a different time. But they're also saying, yeah, there's going to be a change of energy cycles. And you look at the Hindu uh, Kala Yuga, the end of the Iron Age and the beginning of the Golden Age. And you look at the Hawaiian beliefs and the you know, all these other ancient civilizations, um, what's going on here? Could it be that there really is, from a scientific point of view, something changing and that this change is related to some of these belief systems and that what we're experiencing in our own bodies is the quickening as, you know, greater connectivity with people, greater uh, acceptance of synchronicity in our own lives. You know, maybe this is what they've been talking about and we're already starting to experience it because, as I said earlier, the change in the cycle isn't just, oh, it took, you know, the second for the sun to go down for, for the skies to start to, to darken. Um, it's been going on, and, you know, we're, we're in it right now, and I think it just continues over the next 10, 20 years. Okay, well, I'm, we're just about out of time, Bill. Well, thank you for a fascinating conversation, and once again... It's William Gladstone, author of The Twelve. Check it out on Amazon, and uh, there are links to his sites on our site, BehindTheParanormal.com. Bill, thank you for a marvelous conversation. We'll have you back when... uh, I I look forward to it. You guys are doing great work there, and and good, fun show. Thanks very much. Great conversation. Okay, take care. Okay. All right, we have a few announcements before we leave you for the evening. Uh, Less than two weeks ago here in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, there was a fire at St. Michael Ukrainian Orthodox Church, which is pastored by Father Anthony Perkins, a paranormal scholar in his own right and a frequent guest on our show, also a distant cousin of ours. If any of you has ever been inside an Orthodox Church building, they are extremely beautiful and they are arranged like the Kingdom of God in the Book of Revelation. There are magnificent artworks uh, at St. Michael's. I'm told that the fire actually stopped at the icon of St. Michael and went in another direction. Nevertheless, there's a great deal of water and smoke damage, and help is needed for rebuilding. Uh, these are a great priest and a great people, and we urge everyone to give them a hand in their time of need. Uh, you can uh, make a donation at stmichaeluoc.org. S-T-Michaeluoc.org. as a PayPal donation link, and we urge you to use it and to do what you can for these good people. Yeah, so also watch for news on the Necronomicon. In uh, Providence, the H.P. Lovecraft Convention set for August 23rd through the 25th, 2013 in Providence. And we'll be keeping you updated on stuff like that and hopefully more speaking engagements in the future. Right. Okay. Also, what we would point out, BehindTheParanormal.com, our website. Find out about our guests, past, present, and future. Find out what Ben and I are doing. And you can sign up for our quarterly newsletter or uh, become a show reporter. So do all those things. You can also buy my books. Uh, certainly do that and help us keep the site free. Well, there are, of course, over 450, nearly 450 free podcasts on that site. Oh, what about subscribing to the newsletter? And subscribing to the newsletter. As I say, it comes out uh, quarterly, and uh, check it out. So many thanks to our producer, Ben himself, who was, I'm very proud father, was just accepted at Emerson College for his, in Boston, for the finest broadcasting school in the country. Uh, to tell everyone. <laughs> I will tell everyone. I'm proud of you. Thank you. And uh, for, of course, his... Uh, It'd be junior next year for his transfer. Uh, next week, December 10th, when uh, Ben and I will welcome author and scholar Eliza Wood about plans to rewrite the Bible. And believe it or not, there are paranormal tie-ins to this. Wait, seriously? 
Well, we'll wait and find out. Okay, well, everyone's just going to listen to that, because that sounds like an interesting show. So in a regular CBS edition on December 9th, my dad and I will welcome Scottish author and folklorist Jeff Holder for a discussion of poltergeists from the European experience. So if you have questions for us, get those emails in now. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com or Ben at BehindTheParanormal.com. We leave you this evening with a thought from 19th century American author Albert Hubbard. Do not take life too seriously. You will never get out of it alive. So thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.